Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Kim Ware. She is the author of The Art of Friendship, Creating and Keeping Relationships That Matter. You know, we all long for deep and meaningful relationships, but the reality is, is that forming and maintaining them can be difficult. So that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, how do we move past our feelings of unworthiness? How do we have God as our original friend? How do we move past our loneliness? And what are some of the common lies we believe about friendship? So I cannot wait for you to tune in to today's conversation with Kim. Hello, Kim. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. Oh, Rachel, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You are quoted to say, humor restores, the word of God redeems, and friendship revives. How did you choose these characteristics to describe your ministry? Oh, my goodness, because I guess I have lived that. <laughs> so, mm. You know, you, you share what you know, what you've experienced, what you've tested out to be true. Uh, and and those, are, those are things that have been meaningful in my life. Uh, I may be even most significantly <laughs> the humor, but humor and relationships are just powerful in every life. So share what you know. That Yes, absolutely. Well, so you've actually written on this topic in your most recent book released called The Art of Friendship, Creating and Keeping Relationships That Matter. And in it, you say that we were made for meaningful relationships. Why is it that you think this is so? My goodness, uh, I, I would have said a long time ago that we crave meaningful relationships. And I think every part of Every individual knows that we, we yes. all want to be known. We all want to be seen. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'd say we all could have the experience that we crave them, but it hasn't been until really I had to wrestle through some relationship, friendship issues in my own life and dug into God's word that I realized we're not, we don't just crave them. We are literally made for them, Rachel. It is in our DNA all the way to the core of who we are created to be. And that's not just my opinion. It turns out that is biblical revelation. This is how God unfolds um, how we're created. So, you know, kind of, I hate to dive right in and and to the deep end of the pool, but I think if you're going to ask if how we were made, we have to really go back to the beginning. How's that for starting? Let me give you the short version. In the beginning. I I want to dive in. I want to dive in. This is good. (laughs) Okay. So in the beginning, you go all the way back to Genesis. Um, we know that God created everything. So you think about those six days of creation where he made everything from the creepy crawlies on the earth to the, the galaxies in the universe and everything in between. You know, he made lice and cockroaches and, and koala bears that we just adore and uh, sharks and solar systems. And then the pinnacle of everything he created was Adam, what he said was man. And this is the only thing he said he made in his image. And then here's what's fascinating. Out of everything he made, he gives a commentary. And the, and the only thing that he good out of everything, and let me just tell you, there's a list of things that I might have added to the not good list. I live in East <laughs> Texas. Ginormous cockroaches that fly at your head. Those are not good. Right. My daughter had lice. That is not good. <laughs> but he doesn't say those are not good. He says, 
man alone is not good. He made just Adam and he looked at him and he said, not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So here we're getting this first hint that the companionship is critical. And so we also see why it's not good because he's made in his image and, and he says, let us make man in our image. Okay. So we get this idea. Somehow God isn't us. Mm -hmm. We don't fully understand it. How, how as the Bible unfolds and becomes more and more clear that God is three, but he's also one. He's one God in three persons. He is in communion with himself. He's in relationship before he ever created anything. And we're made in his image. So to be alone is not fully in his image. And so he creates a companion. And so when you ask, how, how do we know we're made for friendship? We're made for relationship because we go back to the very beginning and we see it unfold and we see what God says about the state of aloneness, aloneness, bad <laughs> companionship, good. And what's funny is here, all these thousands of years later, Rachel, research is finally catching up as it always does to what God himself said. Um, research shows that being alone is more detrimental to your health, this idea of loneliness, than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm -hmm. It's more detrimental to your health than obesity, and we hear a lot about that. Um, there's an Australian study that was covered over 10 years, so you know, not just a flash in the pan. They really looked at this topic, and what they found out is that older folks who have a more um, intricate network of relationships, not just one person, but several relationships that are you know, complex, not just, I, I've met you, I know you, that those people who enjoy that survive 22% longer than people with few or no significant relationships. Why? Because we're made for it. We ought to pay attention to that. Mm. You might look at the garden and say, well, that's marriage, but it isn't just marriage. Yes, God had a purpose for creating male and female and creating them as they are and then, and then having them cleave together. But there are other forms of relationship that are just as significant. Um, the interesting thing is the only one relationship that we're all commanded to be in is friendship. We're not all commanded to marry. We're not all commanded to be a parent, but we are all commanded to be a friend. And so as we unfold our conversation, I'll be able to point you to those scriptures as well. Mm, this is also such good information. And, you know, in saying all that you just said, because we live in this age of limitless digital connections, we are actually lonelier than ever. Oh my gosh. And, and, you know, you sort of spoke about this, this is not just sad it, that it's dangerous. So can you sort of expand a little bit more on, on that? Well, so I am thinking back about that research about the, you know, the studies and the, the you know, conclusions that they'd come to um, all of that is sort of this, this, evidentiary thing that we can look at, but think about it, Rachel, think about how, how you internalize that, how you feel when you are lonely. Um, does it affect you physically? Does it affect you spiritually? Does it affect you emotionally? I mean, think about in your own life, I, all of us go through seasons of loneliness. Yes. So, I mean, nobody wants to admit it, right? We'd rather say we're fat than we're lonely, you know, going back to that obesity thing. There's just something awkward about admitting that we're lonely. And so we will stay in our loneliness until we can figure out on our own, how do I get out of this? Um, but think about how it makes you feel. Can you attest the, the, the correlation to the research? I mean, I think we know it instinctively because we feel it. You know, we, 
We maybe don't eat as much. We get depressed. We get anxious when we are alone. We don't have people to share with. All of those things really start playing themselves out as true when we experience them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have had seasons of loneliness. And so I'm interested, did you write this because you experienced a season of loneliness yourself? I, I really did. Uh, I, 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 well, let me put it this way. I wrote it as I came out of that season and I came out of that season thanks to really looking to see what God says about how relationships work. So, you know, I, I grew up um, moving every two years, Rachel. And so just when we would get settled and you know, I finally, you know, started out as the new girl over and over again, I was always the new kid. And eventually I would finally, finally find a friend or two and then we would move again. And so I have this pattern that developed growing up of always feeling insecure, always feeling like the outsider, you know, finally finding friends, when my husband and I got married, I hate to say a stipulation, but one of the things that I said to him is, look, I, I know that pursuing a vocation is really important, but here's what I need. I need to live in one place. Mm -hmm. I want to raise my kids having a hometown that I never had. And all of that was a reaction to just the fact that I constantly moved and never felt like I belonged. Well, so you fast forward and you know, I was finally able to sort of work into a group of new moms and those became my people. Our faith community really taught me, you know, that it was how to be embraced and to embrace others. Um, but then we hit this place in my life where my kids now are junior high and high school, right? I know your kids are not quite there yet, but you probably see on the horizon how much more and more investment of your emotional and mental time they're taking. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. when they're younger, it's more of the physical time. Mm -hmm. So as I got older, Rachel, I really pulled in because I wanted to be available to be the home where my kids' friends could come. We wanted to be that refuge for everybody else's kids. And also, selfishly, so I could keep an eye on my kids, right? right. Um, well, that meant I didn't really have time for my friends, mm -hmm. or I didn't think I did. I didn't think I did. So I spent less and less time with them. My husband spent less and less time with couple friends. We spent more and more time with teenagers. Their people became my people. Um, and... We, we finally get to this place now where my son's about to get married. So we're talking years of this, you know, change in, in relationship pattern. And I look up one day and I realize I don't have any friends. Mm -hmm. I, I have no friends left. And it was very, I didn't, and, and this is the worst part of it. It felt like I was back in junior high. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. How do I get back in a group? How do I revive those friendships? And sort of that season led me back to say, look, by this time, I'm far more mature, right? I'm a grown-up adult. I'm a Bible teacher. And I just said to myself, okay, God has an answer for this. He has an answer for everything. Surely he has an answer for this loneliness that I feel. What do I do with this? And as I started digging into God's word and just laying myself open and saying, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward. I discovered there was such a beautiful pattern and plan and purpose for friendship that it, it literally has transformed relationships in my life. And, and I knew this was something that a lot of women working in women's ministry um, were hungry to know as well. And so that really is how the message developed to share. Contrary to all of our efforts, you believe that the answer isn't found in more connections but deeper ones that mirror God himself as the original friend, which I love the picture of that. 
So when did God first become your friend and how has your friendship with him developed over the years? Oh, what a fun question that is. Uh, I will say that he became my friend. I can tell you exactly in sixth grade, because that was, again, (laughs) another time that we had just moved, settled into a house, really the first house I remember living in, uh, in a, in a lovely neighborhood. And, um, for the first time that I can remember, my mom started taking us to church and we actually had a week where we would meet with a pastor every day after school that he could really explain to us some of the theologies that we needed to know, like who is God, who is Jesus and what is the gospel. And I just remember my heart just pounding as I heard about this, this, this Jesus who wanted to be my friend. And it's something that for the first time, I felt like I belonged, like I really belonged. Mm -hmm. And I developed this, this just intimate relationship with him. He and I would talk every night before I go to bed. And and literally I talked to him as one talks to a friend and it reminds me of what they said about Moses, you know, that, that idea that that is what God that longs to be to us. Moses spoke to God face to face as one speaks to a friend scripture says. And then it also says in Hebrews about Abraham that uh, he, he believed God. It was counted as faith and that he was a friend of God. And so you get this idea from the very early parts of the new Testament that this is the relationship that God wants with us. This isn't something new only because Jesus came, but Jesus fleshes it out, explains it to us in a, in a way that uh, is personal and, and, and intricate so that there's no misunderstanding. But of course, isn't that what he came to do? Mm -hmm. He is, he is fully man and fully God. And he came to reveal to us the things that had yet been hidden. Um, and, and friendship with God is one of those things that he fully unpacked for us. Well, your book is a step-by-step guide to help readers fill their divine calling to have lasting, meaningful relationships. So would you give us a teaser about a few of the steps that you suggest? Well, um, I, I definitely think that there are some specific things that we can do. So like friendship obviously is not a here, follow these three steps and all your problems will be solved (laughs) because friendship is not a once and done. And I think that is one of the misconceptions of friendship. We think, oh, good. I have friends. I'm good now, but it's not like that. It's, it is a very much a a concept um, that we participate in every single day. It's an organic thing. They grow, they change, they, they develop, they mature. um, They hopefully multiply. So there are very specific things you can, you need to create as a foundation, but let me, I guess, let me back up to this very first one, which is this idea of what did Jesus say about friendships? Because there are three critical things that I don't think any friendship can begin nor survive without, but it also goes to how do I know Jesus is my friend and how do I know I'm called to be a friend? Uh, Not just to be, like I said, married, if you look at uh, creation. So um, Jesus, if you jump to John as, 15. Jesus is talking with his disciples. At this point, they're right. They're what? Servants. They're, they're, they're followers. They're students. They're disciples. And they've been following him around, learning from him as a teacher or a rabbi. And then he wants to explain to them, no, I just need you to know now, now you're becoming more than that. And I'm more than that to you. And he says, look, I love you. And I want you to love other people the way I love you. And so This is what he tells them. He said, love each other as I've loved you. And then he gives some specifics. Here's how I've loved you. 
greater love no one has than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He says, you're my friends. So think about, think about that. Mm -hmm. The God of the universe is saying to mere humans, you're my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends because everything I learned from my father, I made known to you. And then he reminds them of this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And then he finishes it this. Go love each other. So there really are those three primary things caught up in that, that he is modeling for us. But more than that, he's commanding us to replicate. So three things that he says, Rachel, are important about friendship. First of all, this idea of loving each other the way I've loved you, being a friend, laying down your life for one another. Now, that word lay down life can mean forfeit your life. And we, we see that that is what Jesus did, the ultimate act of friendship. He took our place. He laid down his life. He did it voluntarily. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down for my sheep. He is the ransom for many, right? So he voluntarily lays it down for it. But that word can also mean to lay aside. I hope you are not called to die for your friends. Mm -hmm. but you are called to die to yourself for your friends, to lay aside all of your own top interests to look out for their interests, to not compete in priorities or any other way, but to lay that aside for your friend. So that's the first element of friendship as he describes it. And that's how we can duplicate it. He also says, here's another step to, to participate in. He says, look, here's what, here's how, you know, you're my friend, you know, my business, <laughs> you know, my business. And he said, I share it with you. I make it known to you things that I make known to you that I don't make known to other people. We probably would call that transparency, right? Trust. And it's a critical element of not just friendship, but biblical friendship, the kind of friendship Jesus has for us that he's telling us, he's commanding us, go do for each other. So we've got looking out for their interest above our own, being transparent, and then he says, I didn't choose you, you chose me. I call this the go first philosophy of biblical friendship. Jesus went first. He didn't wait for somebody to say, Jesus, Jesus, I think you're awesome. Can I be your friend? He went out and he pursued. He said, come follow me. Come be part of my group. I knew you before you even came to me. We are so lonely, mainly because we are so insecure. We're waiting for somebody to call us, to knock on our door, to initiate on a Sunday morning. Um, we're waiting for somebody else to go first. Biblical friendship that's modeled after how Jesus exhibits friendship, it, it doesn't wait. It goes first. It pursues. I love this because this is gospel-centered friendship. It's not the world's friendship. It may not be the friendship that makes us the most comfortable, but it's gospel-centered friendship that we are commanded to participate in. Love each other as I have loved you. I love you as a friend. Here's what it looks like. And then he finishes up again. Now go love each other this way. If you just started with those three things, transformative. Good news is there's also more. <laughs> <laughs> it is transformative. Well, so even though we crave these deep friendships, why is it so hard to form and maintain them? Well, I would say the first thing is because of our own insecurities. I don't know about you, Rachel, but I'm just going to be transparent with you, my new friend. Um, there's a voice in my head that says, if Rachel knew the real you, she would not be your friend. If Rachel knew 
how uh, lazy you can be or how insecure you feel or what you've done in your past, uh, she would never choose you. There is this voice that runs in our head. It's the insecurities that I really are in some ways echoes of lots of things in our past. A critical mother could be that voice in your head from, from when you were growing up. Um, for me, it's that constant feeling of not belonging. It's hurtful things that were said to me in elementary and junior high. Sounds ridiculous and immature, but hey, that voice is still there. Uh, it's our own comparison to the culture or other people perceiving what the standard of this is what's best looks like and I fall short. And so we, we talk ourselves out of thinking that we have something to offer people as friends. So I, I will say that this is one of the first things that the Lord took me to as I was asking him, Lord, there's got to be more. Why is this so hard to have friendships? And one of the first things he, sh two things he showed me, I think. One, Kim, I'm your friend. You'll never be alone. And I am the most significant friendship. Make sure you're working on your relationship with me first. Be transparent with me first. Put my interests first. Um, know that I choose you and you can choose me too. But the second thing, Rachel, was that I think one of the priorities that God has for ourselves is that we do friend ourselves. If we cannot friend ourselves, if we cannot learn to love ourselves, to care for ourselves, we will always be looking for somebody else to fill the void. And we will suck the life out of every other relationship, whether that's marriage or friendship or anything else, or even our children looking for them to make us feel valid. We will always be looking to somebody else to make us feel approved, make us feel like we belong, make us feel secure, make us feel significant. There's a um, so many scriptures, but like think about Proverbs um, 19.8. It says, whoever gets sense loves his own soul. It's not egotistical to love what God has created us to be. He desires for that. Um, he says, no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. What is our model for how we should love and care for ourselves? The way Christ loves the church. And so I think until we are able to settle that, and I don't think we can unless we dig into God's word and see what he says about us, believe it, wrestle through those voices and the demons in our head and silence them, uh, we're always going to undermine our relationships and, and it, it makes it difficult for us to maintain them. I have been rejected in friendships before, and I'm sure many of the listeners have as well. How do we move past, I guess, previous rejections to develop new relationships without fear? Well, um, just even you saying that makes my heart just sting a little bit because it, it, it kind of lays bare the places in my own life where I've felt rejected. In fact, uh, there's a story that I unfold in the art of friendship about that. And what's so funny is after I wrote the book and it's out there, and you know, my friends are being so great to pick up the book and share it with other people. I actually went to a quote unquote friend uh, and said, Hey, look, I just want to let you know. Um, I know we haven't been close in a long time, but there's a story that I share in the book and you'll know it when you read it. And there's tears in my eyes. And I said, I just want you to know that um, this story's about us. And I have a lot of regrets and I, I just want you to know, I'm sorry for those, but I hope, I hope the story will communicate some of that. She reached out to me a few weeks later and said, can we please meet? And we worked through some of those hurts 
things that each one of us didn't realize at the time. So we all have those stories, right? All that to say, we have those stories. I think one of the first things to, to remember is that relationships, even if you do it all right, are going to have hurt in them. Unless your only friend is Jesus, we're going to hurt you. You're going to hurt people and they're going to hurt you. It's going to be full of some false expectations. There's going to be disappointments, misunderstandings. So those things are going to happen. Um, the more mature we become and the more we develop biblical gospel-centered friendship principles, the more we're going to be able to heal those in the moment. But all of us have them in the past. So I think part of it is... Um, regardless of whether it's a, it's a current issue or let's say it's a past issue. I think there are some specific things that you can do. One of those is give yourself permission to grieve what's gone before. Uh, it, it can feel like I just need to move on or it's too hurtful or whatever, or I'm ashamed of what I did. And that's my case. I'm, I'm just ashamed that I couldn't salvage the friendship 15 years ago, that I didn't have the maturity uh, to do it way back then. Grieve it. Grieve the loss of that relationship. Um, don't let it define you. You are more than how that relationship worked out. You are a daughter of the king of the universe. You are a friend of the creator of your soul. You are God's gift to so many people. He created you not only to have friends, but to be a friend to other people. So, Remember who you are. Take time to think about that and wrestle through the insecurities you're feeling. Be thankful for anything that you might have learned in that friendship. Find a way to count the, the, the blessings out of it, even if it's just that it taught you stuff. Be prayerful. Don't move forward alone. Listen, God, this is important. God created you for relationships. He will honor your desire to be in healthy friendships because he created you for it. Why would he not also help you in the process of it. So include him in, be prayerful about what the next steps look like. Um, look back at that relationship that you feel like failed and evaluate it from beginning to end. Don't just think about the emotional wounds that were done to you. Really ask the Lord to show you as, oh, I had to do and it's painful. Lord, what did I do wrong? Where, where do I need to learn from my own uh, failings in this? And then I would just say, before you move on to the next one, because I think that was your question, let go gracefully of the one that's behind you. Quit dragging it like an albatross around your neck. Uh, don't let it damage future relationships because of fears or hurts. Let it go gracefully. Um, and then expect God to fill that space because he wants to. I, I think, you know, those are some of the things It's a that... So that really is a process. Some of the things that are part of a process of being able to healthfully go to the next relationship. Those are some really great tips. And you, you mentioned earlier about expectations or unrealistic expectations. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Like what, what are some common lies that women and men believe about friendship? You know, I'm glad that you said women and men, because here's the thing. I'm not sharing anything that I discovered about these gospel-centered friendships that is not applicable to every man, woman, and child. Imagine if you could have embraced these things mm -hmm. at the age of 11 yeah. uh, or 8 or 16. Um, now, in the context of the particular resource I put together, it's what do these things look like in a woman's life? Um, but they're universal because 
we're created, all of us, for relationships. Um, but specifically in the context of a female life, uh, and it's funny because I, I actually was talking to some men the other day about this and said, okay, what are the things that you struggle with when it comes to relationships? Interestingly enough, uh, transparency was their biggest hurdle. For women, think about it. We can't wait to be transparent. <laughs> right. Just give me a friend I can be honest with. And men are like, just give me a friend who won't ask me to be honest. Mm, funny. <laughs> so we all, I mean, all of these things are essential, but we all struggle with them differently. So let's just talk about that for women specifically. I think one of the big lies that we believe is that one BFF is going to solve our craving for friendships. You know, right when we're little, what do we want? We want a best friend forever. We want somebody to take the other half of the necklace, you know, yeah. <laughs> that we're wearing that says we're best friends and our pieces fit together. But that is not the biblical model of gospel-centered friendship. That is not. Um, sometimes we can have like a few friends and we can say, oh, I can't even keep up with these friends. My boat's full. Okay, the boat should never be full. Mm. Now we're, we can talk about a little bit how different relationships require different things are not equal, but the boat should never be full. Um, so aiming for one BFF is actually incredibly damaging. Imagine if that was a model that Jesus had, if he only was transparent with John. Um, but he did have different levels, circles of friends, right? Different kinds of intimacies. But that's one of the, the biggest ones. We get that one friend and then what happens when that friendship hits a rocky point? We're desolate because our one relationship that defined us is on the rocks. So that's one of them. I think another one we, we mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, to think that our friends won't ever disappoint us. Okay, well, you are going to be sadly mistaken. Um, if we understand that not only will they disappoint us, but we'll disappoint them, if we, if we acknowledge that from the beginning, man, aren't we in a better position yeah. to weather that when it happens yeah. rather than being thrown off kilter? Um, I think another lie is that friendship should be easy. Not easy. I can tell you I thought marriage was going to be easy. <laughs> Not easy. <laughs> Not easy. Um, I guess that shouldn't, you know, anybody who's ever been married was sitting around waiting for me to come to this conclusion. I also <laughs> thought uh, marriage was going to be all about me. I remember going to the altar and just reveling in the words, you know, when, when my husband said he was going to love me, cherish me, <laughs> you know, honor me, 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 me. How exciting is this going to be? Uh, he swears I said the same thing. I don't think there's videos so we can't prove it. But literally day three of our honeymoon, it became very clear to me. Oh, wait, you have an opinion. <laughs> oh, you want me to compromise too? Um, and I, I think that is a, kind of a side funny note, but, but think about it. Even in, a, in every relationship, marriage, parenting, coworkers, and every element of all of our relationships, there is an element of friendship to all of them. So these things aren't just principles to improve and, and gain quote unquote friends. But you, we, don't you long to be a friend with your spouse? Yeah. Don't you long as an adult to have a friendship with your parents? Don't you long as a parent to begin to lay the groundwork for a friendship with your children so that as they become adults, you will be able to enter into that kind of transitional relationship? So all of these things apply in so many relationships, but we have to get past our misconceptions and our expectations Friendship is hard, just like marriage is hard, just like parenting is hard. It requires effort. It's not once and done. Um, quantity of time does not equal quality of friendship. Just because you go shopping with somebody a lot doesn't mean that that person um, has moved to that place of friendship that they could. Is transparency part of it? Is their self-interest higher than yours? So there's all these things that the culture has told us or our own selfishness 
desires from people that is not um, a reflection of gospel-centered biblical friendship. Well, so what is God's higher purpose for friendship? Mm. I think this to me was the most transformative um, element of what I discovered looking into God's word. And this is funny. I'm not discovering anything new, (laughs) you know, right? I'm just trying to put the pieces together and say, let's look at it all together. Um, So interestingly enough, there is, I think, what a lot of us sort of recognize in God's word is upside down thinking, right? Um, we certainly know that that he practiced things that were foreign and upside down in the world. Like he says, the least shall be first. Okay, what? Upside down. But more than that, there's a different kind of upside downness that basically acknowledges that what already exists up in the realm of heaven gives a reality to what is down on the realm of earth. Like we like to think of it as as it happens in earth first, and then somehow Jesus is going to recreate it in heaven when we get there. That's not how it works. Things already exist in heaven, in the realm of eternity, and God mirrors them so we can have a greater understanding of them on earth. So think think about what some of those are. Um, He asked the Israelites to build a tabernacle on earth a place that they could meet with God. He says it's patterned after a tabernacle that already exists in heaven. Um, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He is not the bread of life because he looked at bread and said, oh, look, here's bread and bread sustains life. I think I'll just help them try to understand me and I'll just call myself the bread of life. He is the bread of life. I am. He has always been the bread of life. He was life, the sustainer and provision of life before man was ever created. What was created in heaven, he then reflects on earth. Think about um, our relationships, marriage. Marriage didn't define how Christ relates to uh, the church. Christ has always loved what he would choose from the foundations of the creation to be his bride. And so in his goodness, he allowed the creation of a relationship that could reflect that. Okay. Keeping all of that in mind, okay, we, we, we kind of understand that, right? Um, friendship is one of those. God is friend. Before creation ever happened, God is friend. It is who he is. It is his nature. He gives expression to it in the creation of man and in his relationship to man. It is the essence of part of his nature. He wants that nature to be known. So yet again, does he allow us to partner with him? And he says, go and friend other people, love them as I has loved you as a friend. And you know what that does, Rachel? It gives a flavor to the rest of the world. It is a picture to other people. The same way he said, marriage will be a testimony of who I am to a watching world. Okay. Love each other um, as I have loved you. Um, Husband, love the wife as Christ loved the church. Fathers, love your children. That's another picture of what God's like as father. If you're a really good father, benevolent, kind, caring for your children, the rest of the world then will be able to at least get a small picture of what I am like as father. Think about how that elevates friendship. That when we do it the way Jesus does it with us, when we practice gospel-centered friendship with each other and they know that we belong to God, the world can go, ah, that's what Jesus is like. Mm. It is sort of this extension of this universal grace that he wants the rest of the world to experience that they might be drawn to him. Wow. 
do I want to reflect that kind of friendship? Yes. Oh, yes. That's beautiful. Well, so all of us do have relationships, but is, is there a time when we should evaluate them, you know, and, and how would we go about doing that? Evaluating the friendships we may already have in our lives. Yeah. So I, I think, um, that's a, that's that idea of the ongoingness that friendship is not a once and done, um, things change, right? I mean, I, I just described to you how my life changed and mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that I had lost all my friendships because I'd pulled inwardly and focused on home to the exclusion of the needs of my friends or um, the the need of my relationship to have with them. So yeah, I'm a perfect example. What happens if you don't? <laughs> what happens if you don't evaluate the state of your marriage? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't check in with each other, if you don't notice when you're getting more isolated or distant in your marriage, you don't notice when you stop talking to each other. You don't notice when the romance starts to die. What happens? Those things begin to take that downward spiral. So please, please, please learn from that and do the evaluating. So I think one of the easy ways to do that is um, really what a lot of us might think of as a way to to actually uh, evaluate your marriage. So when when going back to John 15, Rachel, when when Jesus said, um, love each other as I have loved you, he used the word agape. In, in the Greek language in which these things were originally transcribed, it was the, the universal language of the time of Jesus, uh, there were five different words for love. A lot of us have heard that before, right? We have one word for love. I love pizza. I love my husband. I love my dog. <laughs> I don't love them all the same. I love them all different. Yeah. Um, but in, in the Greek language, it's fascinating. It was the most precise language that has ever been known to mankind in the history of the world. And it's no accident that Jesus would choose to enter or sovereignly allow that language to be in place when he comes uh, into the uh, world, man with us or God with us in the form of man. His communication could be as precise as we could possibly have it. And so when he chooses the word love, he could have choose, chosen any love. He could have chosen brotherly love, romantic love. Uh, he, he doesn't. He chooses the word that means divine, unconditional covenant love, agape, right? I love you as a friend with agape love. He also could have said, I agape you. Now you go phileo, brotherly love others. In other words, you can't do what I do. So I'm going to lower the standard for you. He doesn't. He says, I agape you, you agape others. So then we're left with a conundrum. Okay, that's hard. It's divine love. How do I do that? Okay, he knew we'd ask. Jump over to 1 Corinthians 13. You get to the love chapter. Always read at weddings, right? Mm -hmm. As if it's eros, as if it's romantic love. It's not. It's agape love. It is the same word that he uses for the love he has for his friends. And he says, okay, so here's what it looks like in intricate detail. So if you're asking, how do I evaluate? How do I look at my friendships and say, are they healthy? Are they growing? Do they meet the model of the gospel-centered friendship that Jesus is expecting of me? Because it's a reflection of him. This beautiful passage starts out with telling us what love is not. Uh, It says, if you can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love, if you have the gift of all prophecy, if you have all knowledge and and can discern all mysteries, but have not love, if you can give, think of all the charity you could do, you could give your possessions to the poor and even your body to hardship, but you don't have love. Here's what he says about that. Those are all admirable things and we should aim for them. But guess what? Without love in the mix, without agape, 
expressed in relationship to others. He says, you are nothing. You have nothing. You gain nothing. How empty that all is without the expression of this, this mysterious thing that he's saying is friend love. But then he goes on to define it. And this is where I think we can evaluate. I like to think of it. I'm, I'm of the old school. I used to teach school, Rachel, high school English. And back in the day, we used transparencies, right? We didn't, we didn't have PowerPoints. And so you could overlay one transparency over another as you built something up. So I like to, in my mind, I see this as a transparency that I can lay over each individual friendship and say, how am I doing? Is this true of this relationship? So agape friend love is patient. And so I can think specifically with my friend Carol in where we are right now and the things going on in her life and the things going on in my life. Kim, am I patient with Carol? Have I, have I waited where I needed to wait? Have I been kind and happy in my waiting or am I frustrated? Uh, I worked in the children's department last week and, and I was reminded as uh, the leader said, ask the kids, what is patience? And they all said waiting, but she said, how do we wait? And all of them shouted out, we wait happy. <laughs> That's it. Wait happy. Wow. Do I wait happy when I have to be patient with my friends? Um, love is kind. It, these are all do things. They're not just feel things. Love is not feeling. Jesus didn't say, I feel this for you. His love is expressed in action. Am I kind? And how have I expressed that kindness to Carol? Have I been envious of Eric, Carol? Has something good happened in her life? Is her marriage relationships flourishing while mine feels dry? And I literally wish hers wasn't so I could feel better about myself. Um, have I been boasting to try to make myself look better to Carol so that she might be jealous of me? Have I been proud? Have I dishonored her by breaking trust? Have I been self-seeking rather than doing what Jesus did and laid aside my life and self-interest for Carol? Easily angered, keep no record of wrongs, doesn't delight in evil, truth protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. When you want to evaluate, okay, then evaluate. Get down to the nitty gritty and really ask yourself these questions on a pretty regular basis for each of your relationships. Wow. <laughs> what a good practice. Um, oh, so worthwhile. Well, so you are the host of the Art of the Friendship uh, podcast, which is no surprise because you're such a good teacher and speaker. So what, what can listeners expect to hear when they tune in? So excited because that launches in about a week. Um, so conversations, conversations with people like you and me, just hashing out the details. What does it look like? Uh, you can tell my soul is as a Bible teacher. I, I have been invested in so much by good teachers and I know the power of hearing uh, the word um, just unpacked in practical ways, but I also know the power of conversation. And so a lot of conversation, a lot of hashing things out with all different kinds of people. So it's not a 30 minute lecture. It's really a conversation to help us say, what do these things look like? What do relationships look like? So it'll be about the heart of all kinds of relationships, how friendship intersects with that, and sometimes just conversations about important things with friends. So I do hope people will find us at The Art of Friendship. Yeah, sounds so, so good. But you also have a daily Bible blog. Oh, this is the teacher heart in me. Uh, I just love it. So, so uh, yeah. I have been transformed by God's word daily. 
not Bible study. Of course, Bible studies transformed me, but there is something that happens in your soul when you let God speak to you and you speak to God every single day. Now, I have to say, I'll be honest, I struggled a little bit with this when it comes to just prayer, because what do we do in prayer? We just talk, 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 but communication is listening. And that is what I have discovered is the beauty of being in God's word every day. And so helping people see that they can 365 be a little bit in God's word every day, I know will transform their lives. Mm -hmm. I know will transform their marriages, their relationships, their parenting. It'll transform their work life. There is nothing that is not transformed when you let God speak to you every day. And this Bible blog is just a way to say, well, this is this is what it looks like to listen in my life. So we kind of give you, here's passages to read for today. You can read one or all four of them. And then here is you know, three to 400 words of how I interacted with that as I was hearing God speak. Not so that I can say, here's a substitute, you don't go listen, but to help people develop that skill of, oh, okay, okay, this is what it looks like. Um, it is such a delight for me to do it. You can subscribe. It'll actually come to your mailbox, your email box. Um, this is parked at hopeondemand.com, which is an amazing website. Hopeondemand.com is basically all things hope. It's where my podcast will be posted. Um, it is where the daily devotional is listed. Again, you can subscribe. But also, music artist interviews are there, articles, blogs, podcasts, all kinds of things. If you need hope in your life, go to hopeondemand.com. They're a wonderful organization. I'm so glad just to be a small part. Well, so I'm interested because of this entire conversation, who, who has modeled friendship well for you in your own life? Mm. So that's one of the earliest podcasts for me is getting to sit down with some friends and talk about that. But um, I think two, oh gosh, I can't say two, so three people. <laughs> in my, I'm one of those people that's always been like, oh, if I could just have a small group of friends, I'm okay. Yeah. I just need my two or three friends. Well, they're not always available. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then I realized that's because that's a view that says it's all about me. If I could just have two or three friends that know me, biblical friendship is Jesus. Who needs me? Who can I give into? And, and then trusting that as I focus on their interest without being selfish, but just with the philosophy of give, 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 go first, go first, go first, listen, be transparent, trust, pursue. I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to get it back. That is such a magnetic recipe it will boomerang back to you. You can trust that. Don't worry about scrambling to try to get for your own. And that's what I've seen in the people that have, have been most meaningful in my life is that they have given so generously to me. Um, and um, some of them have been people that, you know, I've had sort of equal relationship. We both give and take. Um, but some of the most powerful people who've taught me about friendship are people who've given more than I've been able to give back to them. You know, older mentors, wiser women, some that were just more mature than me, but the same age. And I think that's one of the maybe as sort of as a last nugget is to remember that, look, all of our relationships aren't going to look alike. Um, we're all going to have relationships, I hope, that are this beautiful balance. You give, they give. It's never going to be 50 50 because, you're, you know, sometimes you'll be busier, they'll be busier. But for the most part, you're both feeding into those beautiful places in your lives. There are going to be some relationships you're going to take a lot more than you give. You should have that. You should have people who are, in a way, mentoring you, even if it's not like an official mentorship, but through friendship. But then listen, you ought to have people that you're giving more to than you're getting from. And you shouldn't feel resentful for that. Think how Jesus did that. 
Um, this is how we give into and love people. Um, and, and it shouldn't be a, a cause of bitterness, but a place to celebrate, Lord, thank you for letting me invest in people without expecting anything in return. Um, I, there have been people in every one of those categories that literally have changed my life. Among them, my mother, who has taught me what it is to be a loyal friend. And now I'm even learning things from my daughter in friendship. So um, never think that you got it all down or that you can't learn from any, any corridor in your life. Yeah. Well, so this season I'm, I'm asking each of my guests who has loved them well. So Kim, who first comes to mind for you and how did they love you well? Mm, okay. So now you're going to make me narrow down. Uh, okay. You know what? I, I, I am going to say, I'm going to say my mother. And while that sounds like, oh, but your mom's not your friend. Let me just say that she is my friend. Um, but more than that, having a front row seat to her life, um, a, a difficult life coming out of an abusive marriage, being a single mom, struggling to figure out how to silence the voice in her head that made her feel worthless. Um, taking that journey and doing it with grace in relationships and um, watching her with her friends and then watching her invite me into as an adult, not just being her daughter, but a friendship. Those things have really been so powerful in my life. Um, and, and I do think we give that her transparency. Again, one of those beautiful aspects of Jesus friendship um, as what has been a, a tutor for me. Well, and so a follow-up question to you because of your book, how can we love our friends well? Mm. Open the door and go first. Mm -hmm. Go first. Um, our insecurities want us to be pursued. Who doesn't want to be pursued, yeah. right? <laughs> that's, why, that's probably why we got married. Yeah. Somebody was persistent enough to pursue us and they caught us. Mm. Um, we love to be chased after because it makes us feel valuable. But when we realize that God is already the pursuer of our souls, the lover who pursued us to death and then through death, through resurrection and into eternity has made a place for us. He even now is pursuing us by making a home for us. Um, where I go, you will be also. I mean, how much more pursued do we need to be? Seriously, <laughs> if that doesn't make us feel secured, we never will be. But to be able to rest in that and then to say, you know what, because of that, girl, I can pursue you. I can go after you. I cannot worry about whether or not you make me your best friend. I'm going to treat each one of you as if you are valued to be the best. So I really think the best way we love our friends is to pursue them. Mm, so, so good. Well, so you mentioned Hope on Demand earlier, but yeah. is there another way that listeners can keep in contact with you? Oh, please go to kimweird.com because that's just kind of where I hang yes, out. Okay. I have some blog posts there. I, I have been writing a, a newspaper, humor newspaper column for 20 years. And so I'm able to sort of take that same format and just share daily stuff. And, um, you know, I post those once a week and it's just a chance to connect. I love to speak in groups to women. It's fun to do radio. I'm a radio host, talk show host. So, you know, I, I interview, do a lot of what we're doing here every single week. Uh, on a two-hour live talk show where we have callers that call in as well. Um, that's on ksbj.org, and you, that streams live. So we'd love to have you 
tune into that. But um, kimweir.com just is a place where, you know, you can find out about inviting me to come to your group and share some of these things or some other things that your group, you feel your group needs to hear about. Just as a Bible teacher, it is my passion. And it's I before E, except after C. So it follows that rule. So it's Kim, W-I-E-R.com. I hope you'll go there and and maybe consider just letting me come and, and hang out with your group because I love it. I love to do that and I love to hang out. Mm, and it is so evident and just your passion and your joy, it just, it, it exudes and uh, you I love women. Yeah, I We're awesome. What's better than estrogen, right? <laughs> Pretty amazing creatures. Uh, yes, we are. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being my guest today and for teaching us the importance and the art of friendship. God bless you, friend. It's delightful. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Kim Ware. I hope and pray that it encouraged you as you develop and maintain and create relationships, friendships, and, and especially your relationship with the Lord. If you're interested in show notes from today's episode, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or on Facebook, and you can also get them sent directly to your inbox by going to rachelkadams.com to subscribe for those weekly love offering emails. Next week, my guest is Kara Lawler. She is the author of Holy Everywhere. We're basically talking about how to find God in the midst of your ordinary and your mundane, sort of appreciating whether you're in the mountaintops or the valley. And so I really think this is a timely episode, especially with everything going on in our world right now. And I just want you to know that I personally am praying for you. And if you would like specific prayer, please always feel free to reach out to me. Um, just find me on Instagram and on Facebook or send me an email through my website. I just want you to know I am here for you. I'm rooting for you, cheering for you. And we do not have to be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, we can always go to the Lord to find our peace. And so um, I hope that you have a peaceful week and that, that you just lean on the Lord to comfort you no matter what you are going through. And so until then, I hope that you feel his love and that you continue to lead with love.